welcome to More Deadly, the Director's Cut, where we speak with the women identified directors who are making the horror movies we are obsessed with. And let me tell you, this is no exception. Joining me to geek all the way out is the one and only Ariel. Hi. Hey, how are you? I'm doing good. Yeah, how have you been? I've been okay. Well, it's almost Halloween. Are you getting in the spirit? I mean, we're almost there. We're almost at the finish line. Are you getting any good Halloween vibes? Yeah. I mean, it's getting creepy in my neighborhood. Everybody's got their decorations out. And it's that cold, rainy fall season here in the Pacific Northwest. And there are about, I don't know, 20 million horror movies and TV series that have come out this month. So (laughs) it's like chock-a-block full of content. It is spooky gal Christmas, right? Yeah. I feel like I've gotten to see so many good things this month. You know, everything's opening up a little bit. And so all the stuff that's been held, but it's just cram jam with all kinds of good stuff. Like on streaming and theaters. This Mm -hmm. has been a solid spooky season, I think. This movie that we will be talking to the directors of was one of my favorites of this spooky season, which is, of course, VHS 94. Yeah. We have a very exciting episode for you today. Because this time we are so excited that we got to sit down with not one, but two amazing women directors, Chloe Acuno and Jennifer Reeder, to talk about their new film, VHS 94, which if you haven't seen it already, you should. It's out on Shudder. We've done a review, so you may have spoiled it for yourself. I don't know what's going on. These are your life choices. Stop giving me these (laughs) dirty looks. But yeah, it's on Shudder. You should definitely check it out. I think it's a total course correction for the franchise i love this movie so it made it very exciting to get to talk to these gals yeah absolutely because vhs 94 was so much fun i love anthologies but on top of that we were lucky enough that two of the best parts were directed by women right? and we got to talk to both of them yeah i mean there were really cool things that were done in the wraparound and then storm drain i mean was our favorite segment i mean (laughs) and hail ratma hail ratma (laughs) yeah so we talked about what it meant to be the first women who were featured in the vhs franchise we talked about creating a feminist videodrome which is super super cool yes and of course we talked about our lord and savior the one and only ratma I thought this was a super fun conversation. What about you? Yeah, I thought this was a really great interview. Both of them were super interesting, had really great things to say, and they gave us a ton of their time. So you're really going to get to hear us kind of dive deep with them because we got like an hour with them. Yeah. Yeah. I could easily have talked for another hour. It was so hard oh, to wrap absolutely. up. But I was like, I know. I'm being greedy. <laughs> I know. We still had more questions left even after all that time because there was so much good stuff to talk about. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think you guys will be really interested to hear what they have to say. Yeah. On that note, what do you say we get into it? Yeah. Let's do it. All right. Here we go. Our conversation with Chloe Okuno and Jennifer Reeder of VHS Nadafor. Hi. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Yeah, me too. I'm good. It's nice to see you, Chloe. Nice to see you, Jennifer. You guys have quite the sorority happening right now, huh? With all the press you're having to do. It's cool. And I like these. I actually especially like these, um, the interviews that we've gotten to do. There's only been a handful of them that, we, that we've gotten to do just by oh, ourselves. That's awesome. Oh, that's nice. I mean, yeah. not that there's any kind of like bashing of like the boys involved, but it's sure. also just really nice to have these kind of, you know, yeah, these kind of sister sisterhood conversations. Awesome. awesome. So 
we are super, super excited to chat with you guys today. As I said before we started recording, we're huge fans of Knives and Skin. So this is really exciting. And now that we've gotten to see Storm Drain, we're also huge fans of your work, Chloe. We're completely oh, obsessed and we cannot wait to see everything that you do. So first of all, congratulations on the success of VHS. That's huge. Yeah, Shutter really. announced that it's their Thank biggest you. movie release to date. And everyone I know is saying, hail Ratma. <laughs> so <laughs> I wanted to know, first of all, how did you guys get the news of how successful it was and how you guys are feeling about that? I think I saw something on social media. Someone posted the, I guess it was like a press release from Shudder about how it had their highest streaming numbers. And of course, yeah. like it was incredible. I was so happy that people are finding it and connecting with it. And just, I mean, seeing for me, like personally, seeing all the like Ratma fan <laughs> art is just the coolest thing <laughs> I've ever encountered in my life as a filmmaker. Um, and yeah, it's been it's been amazing. Awesome. How about you, Jennifer? How did you find out and how you doing with good news? Well, I actually think that I've been a little bit um a little shy about just like exposing myself to all of the press because very typically I think the wraparound has been kind of can be really polarizing and so I just never knew when I was going to go into an article that people are going to be like it's fantastic or it's like garbage, you know? And I mean, I have pretty thick skin, but I also am kind of like, I don't know, like maybe I'll just kind of wait for things to come to me. And so I actually didn't get that news about the streaming numbers or even the New York Times critics pick and, and um, until we got, you know, we're in like a group text, you know, the the directors and a couple of the producers. And so, you know, my, fo my phone was dinging and um, yeah, it was the, you know, it was like a, a kind of a screen grab of that, of that shutter news, which I just thought was, you know, just, you know, wild and awesome. And, you know, because this, because there's so many people involved in this project, not just the, you know, the directors, but this sort of has an extraordinary amount of producers, both here and in Canada. And, you know, there's like a lot of people involved. So it just is, um, yeah, I was really happy for everybody. Awesome. Oh, that's so yeah, I, no doubt. I mean, he'll rap forever. <laughs> that's what we've been saying. So it's clear from this film that both of you guys are obviously big horror fans and love the genre. So can you talk about what got you interested in horror and maybe what aspects drew it to you creatively? What interests you about it? Hmm. I mean, for me, I... Uh, was not really exposed to horror at all growing up because my parents oh. hate horror films and they like <laughs> still practically refuse to watch it. The other day I made my mom sit down and watch VHS 94 and she turned to me after and she was like, that wasn't so scary, honey. And I was like, <laughs> But yeah, no, so I think when I was around in high school, I saw um, Evil Dead 2, which I believe was the first horror movie I saw, and it completely blew my mind and rocked my world, and from there on, I was just really hooked. You know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Carrie and a lot of the sort of like great 70s horror auteurs were my favorites, and then yeah, I just, I for me, I feel like horror can tap into these sort of feelings that we might be a little bit afraid of as women to express mm -hmm. oftentimes. And it's all, almost easier to do it through the sort of like Baroque, violent absurdity of a horror movie. And yeah, so in a way, it's, it's just the best sort of method for me as a filmmaker to express myself. Oh, that's great. Jennifer, what about you? 
Well, you know, I, I think as when I was a kid, I never thought of my mom as being some like any any sort of um, like cinephile, for instance. But you know, I remember at a really young age watching um, Hitchcock's Rebecca, which is not really a horror film. I mean, I think it's a, a kind of a gothic mm-hmm. ghost story, sort of love, kind of a, a kind of lesbian love triangle with a, a dead woman at its at its anchor. But I remember also at a young age, probably too young, you know, watching things like uh, Rosemary's Baby or watching, yeah, the De Palma's um, Carrie or other sort of De Palma films, just not so much like the, um, the maybe the most kind of popular horror films, but, um, you know, ones like what, you know, films that my, that my parents wanted to watch on cable and I'm the youngest of five. So I think by the time that I came along, they were sort of just, just like, it'll be fine. <laughs> you, know, so, you know, like, and so I just remember seeing a lot, I mean, like invasion of the body snatchers and, and, and films that, I mean, nothing, um, you know, nothing that, that damaged me. And of course, uh, it, or, uh, or if, if the, the damage has actually done me well, let's, let's say, you know, and yeah. I, couldn't, I mean, I totally agree with, with Chloe. I mean, from, from my perspective, you know, actually, you know, horror, especially if we think about literature, you know, has been helmed by women since Frankenstein, you know, and even sort of before mm-hmm. that. I mean, I just think that in terms of literature, there are so many, you know, really profoundly um, important um, women writers who have created some of the most scary stories and scary monsters of all time. And um, I think that, you know, that women have been the subject of horror. And, you know, it so it it only, it only makes sense that, you know, we would reclaim that Mm. territory. And I think that for me, you know, it's also, you know, I like Chloe's use of the word Baroque. I think of I think of like, you know, some so much of my films lean into the surreal or the fantastical. And Mm. I think that, that visually, you know, horror is a is a place where, um, you know, it just is, um, you can, I can also, I can kind of like flex that, that part of my visual mm-hmm. filmmaking, you know, and, um, and I also think that, you know, that, that, that horror is a place for, you know, for women to talk about, um, or for just general, you know, for filmmakers who are, are maybe kind of, um, have been, um, underrepresented or, or, or historically sort of like marginalized. It's a place to talk about, you know, aspects of, of race and class and, and gender and sexuality, et cetera. Um, but with the kind of like behind the curtain, you know, behind this kind of the, the curtain of blood, you know, you draw the curtain back mm-hmm. and then you can tell a story. I mean, in, you know, in terms of even like knives and skin, I mean, a lot of knives and skin is about like the horror of just girlhood and trying to survive girlhood mm-hmm. or, um, you know, violations around consent and boundaries. And I don't think that, you know, if you, I don't think that if I, I don't think that, you know, Knives and Skin would have been as successful if it was simply a kind of a teen drama about violations around consent, you know, but being able to introduce tropes of thriller and horror and even the musical, you know, with, with this kind of reanimated dead, dead, dead body of, um, of a teenage girl, you know, I just think it, 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 for me, it's more interesting as the maker. And then I hope it's actually more interesting for people who are the consumers. Definitely. I mean, I always talk about how horror is one of those genres that allows you to sneak a lot of messages in. It's almost like you absorb it in a different way. 
because it sneaks past your defenses because it's couched in horror tropes, but really you're actually really saying something important. That's one of the reasons I'm so drawn to horror. And one of the reasons in particular, we we love films that are created by women because oftentimes these are stories or messages that don't always get told otherwise. So let's get into actually a little, little bit about your shorts themselves. First of all, one of the things we loved so much, obviously, about Sewer Drain was the design of Ratma. Can you tell us a little <laughs> bit about how that design came about? And then for both of you, we, one of the things that we appreciated across the board was the use of practical effects. And so I wanted to get both of your takes on why you went practical and how that experience was for you. Mm. So the creation of Ratma started with a conversation I had with a very uh, brilliant concept artist named Keith Thompson. Uh, he's worked with David Bruckner on The Ritual, designing that creature, uh-huh. was so, which was so mm-hmm. mind-blowing. Um, and I believe he's working on Hellraiser. I hope that's not privileged information. <laughs> I think that's out there. Um, <laughs> But yeah, he was he was fantastic. Obviously, he's such a brilliant artist. And, you know, we had a very intense, like, I feel like it was a three or four hour conversation that just covered everything. You know, we talked about where uh, this creature came from. I, I had always sort of been of the mind that it was from the sort of other dimension, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a Lovecraftian kind yes. of thing that had entered into our world yeah, exactly. uh, accidentally even maybe. And I had this idea in my mind that it was actually sort of sick. Like there was a certain, certain patheticness oh. to it, a sadness almost in the way that it's like throwing up bile. So we had all kinds of conversations around that. And ultimately he came up with this, you know, amazing illustration of what the creature would look like, which as many people have pointed out, I think accurately is sort of like, the love child of a xenomorph and a rat. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> Alien is like my favorite movie of all time. So I think that that works. For Absolutely. Me. <laughs> and then Patrick McGee, he works out of Los Angeles. He does these incredible practical effects. He's the person who actually built the Ratma suit. Um, and he turned it around and we gave him no time whatsoever. He had like two weeks uh, oh, wow. to to you know build this creature from the ground up um ship it over to canada from los angeles and then we have this great performer named tiago dos santos who was sort of the the performer in the suit doing the rat movements um so that's how all that came about so incredible i I found myself thinking a lot about i'm glad you said the thing about lovecraftian because i was thinking a lot about pikmin's model when i was watching it which is where there's, you know, Mm. the sort of rat creature. (laughs) So that's really cool. That's really cool. And and how about you, Jennifer? What about practical effects are you drawn to? Well, I mean, I think I, you know, partially I come from not like a theater background, but I, I, you know, my, I came to filmmaking through dance, I mean, or through ballet and not that that there's, there's like practical effects in ballet, but I do think that there's something about like, something about like, um, ballets are my dance background as it's related to to sort of theater and the practical you know practical effects in um in theater or just general kind of stage productions um and kind of starting out as a really scrappy filmmaker where i there was never a budget for any kind of you know like enhanced blood in (laughs) post-production so i have just gotten like my love of making my own you know like theatrical blood is there. And, you know, I, I, I am definitely somebody who 
if a character has needed a black eye, like I'll, I'll just, I've, I've been known to kind of YouTube it and wing it or put a black eye on myself to practice or something. I don't know. Like, I've just like, I really like, I, I like, um, I like being able to, to, um, not rely on that, that sense of like, we'll just fix it in post, you know, but really trying to, I mean, it goes with like, I like to use practical lighting if the lighting is going to be, you know, a very, is very particular. I don't want to have to, you know, to enhance that too much in, in post, et cetera. And so, I mean, I didn't have, I had, so I have some eyeless people, um, and I have uh-huh. some eyeballs and I have a, um, certainly a, 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 a head that's, uh, cracked yes. wide open. Um, and, and, and I worked with a Toronto based couple who do, um, they do a lot of the, the practicals for a lot of shows that are, that are being shot kind of all over Canada, including like what we do in the shadows. And, and, um, so I had this really cool team. Um, and, and, and it was, um, what was cool about working with them was that they, we didn't, I got called into this project very late in the process. And so we were not able to do a, um, a life cast of my actor, but, they have this huge warehouse of, you know, like, uh, heads that are blown open and, and severed limbs and eyeballs and all sorts of stuff. And so kind of leading up to production, I was just getting lots of pictures of, 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 um, you know, of, of potential, you know, sort of ready to, ready to, ready to wear props, you know, so (laughs) to, so to say that, um, that we could use. And, um, I think it looks, I mean, I don't know. I, I really also like the way that the practical effects, especially in the wraparound, like the mm-hmm. eyeless moments, you know, mm-hmm. I wasn't going for like total believability, you know, but I was going for something that felt like, you know, a kind of a nod to, um, to vintage mm-hmm. horror, you know, mm-hmm. and I actually had, because there are so many monitors in the wraparound, we had to kind of save a lot of the, this, the, um, the VFX for, you know, compositing a bunch of monitors. So, you know, that's kind of like my, my VFX budget went to other, um, sure. sort of less gory moments. So I had to kind of rely on, you know, the not real blood, but, you know, on set, on set <laughs> blood. <laughs> right. Oh, that's so great. I mean, as horror fans, we love when we see practical effects, they look so good on screen. And even when they're not perfected 100%, there's this charm to them that I think horror fans really respond to and resonate with. So that was one of the things we really enjoyed about this film. I mean, the melted faces in yours, Chloe, and the gouged out eyes in yours, Jennifer. It was all really, really great. great. <laughs> so VHS 94 is the fourth film in this franchise, and we've been watching it since the beginning. And of course, until now, there have been no women directors involved. You guys are the first ones. So I'd love to hear from both of you sort of what it was like to step into this male dominated franchise and kind of blaze that trail. Chloe. (laughs) (laughs) So honestly, I personally, I had a, a, a quite a good experience. Um, You know, I really admired the filmmakers who had done the previous movies and that was part of the draw for me. You know, I was a fan of VHS um, and I was excited to work with David Bruckner and, and Radio Silence and Simon Barrett. Um, but also, of course, you know, yeah, it's been a, a kind of a, a very dude heavy, actually, you know, up until this moment, dude exclusive uh, right. franchise. I just I feel like every time I work in film, unfortunately, for the most part, you're a lot of the people who are above you tend to be men. 
Um, so it's not unusual in a way. I've just sort of gotten used to that, which is kind of fucked up in its own yeah. way. Um, that it's just this, the standard and the baseline. But I will say, like, for myself personally, um, you know, the, the true joy of this project was that unlike most, you know, films that you work on as a filmmaker in which you have a lot of people above you who are sort of dictating creative decisions and it's constantly a battle and that is the nature of filmmaking itself also. But in this one, I felt like I had a truly incredible amount of creative freedom. You know, they were, they were quite supportive. Um, and really, I think that's one of the reasons why people respond to these movies because the segments are very unique and very weird because it's the pure expression, oftentimes the pure expression of the filmmakers who just have been sort of given carte blanche to make these strange little segments um, in a way that they probably wouldn't be able to under more conventional circumstances. So I had a very good experience overall. Um, but of course, you know, you sometimes you look around and you're the only girl with a bunch of boys right. <laughs> standing around smoking <laughs> yeah. cigars and you're like, this is, uh, this is what it is. <laughs> but I, I really do hope that in the future, and, and I think, you know, they've, to their credit, like they opened it up to me and Jennifer, as they fucking should. Yeah, uh, and in the future, way. hopefully there will be even more women who will be a part of it. Yeah, definitely. How about you, Jennifer? Well, like I said, I got actually got um, brought in kind of late. And I think that had David Bruckner not been pulled off of this project to do Hellraiser, then Chloe might have had to you know, helm this, helm this alone. And so, cause David was supposed to, to direct the wraparound for this section and then got pulled off to do Hellraiser. And, um, so, uh, you know, I got called in maybe March. I mean, it was pretty late in the game. Chloe had already shot her section, you know, Ryan and Simon were like going with, within days going into production for their sections. Um, Timo didn't didn't shoot his section until after my the, my wraparound, but he had written it, and, and so and the cast had already been attached. Um, and even though I was given the option to to recast it, it felt like um, if I was a filmmaker who was you know dying to kind of like make a film after being idle in 2020, you know, I knew that actors were feeling the same way, and I and I thought that I got a really you know an interesting cast that I could that I could work with, and I also and so. Um, and I got a, a script that was written by David and a, and a revision that was written by Simon, both of whom, both of which had, you know, the kind of general idea of a SWAT team that raids what they think is a super drug lab and it turns into something else. Like that was really the, it was like just half of the log line that was kind of existed in the first, in those two other scripts. And so I said, you know, can I rewrite it? Because I've really got this idea of doing something that feels kind of like a feminist yeah. videodrome. You know, I really wanted to think about that, that, you know, this idea that it's not a drug lab, but it's this underground, you know, kind of, you know, uh, you know, production, production studio for unrated content or something mm -hmm. like this, you know, and it was run by these rogue uh, SWAT officers. I mean, I think in retrospect that that might've been too ambitious, you know, I mean, I, I, um, I had to, I had to sort of cut down, a lot of my um, section, but, but in service to the, to the shorts, you know, to kind of like get back to the shorts. And, you know, I think that Brad and Josh, who are the two producers that I had the most contact with would tell you the same thing. Like there was definitely some moments in post when we butted heads. Cause I was like, this has to stay. And they were, let's like, it slows everything down or, 
I was like, this has to stay. And they were like, people are not going to remember when they come back again that that happened or blah, blah, blah. And um, so it was an interesting, I mean, this is the first anthology that I've done. You know, I mean, I've definitely, I definitely know what it's like to be commissioned to make a short, but you know, when you've gotten commissioned to make a short, you don't, you know, you're not part of the commission is not to say like, you're going to make, you know, we want you to make the short film and then it's going to screen with these other short films. So keep right. that in mind, you know? So I think that, I think at the end of the, of the day, I wanted to make something that was, you know, in, you know, in celebration service of, of the, um, of the other shorts. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I can get, a, I can get kind of feisty and, and, um, and bratty, especially, <laughs> especially with sort of like, you know, the kind of, um, you know, this, the sort of horror, the horror bros. And, uh, you know, and I think it's, it's tough to, it's tough to come up against someone like Brad Miska, who's obviously been, you know, there since its yeah. inception, you know, it's hard to say sort of like, what do you know about VHS? You know, I was like, oh yeah, you know everything about VHS. Um, <laughs> but you know, it, it's at the same time, it's like, you know, they're, they, um, you know, they're, they are, you know, great smart guys who, um, who, you know, who, who asked, uh, you know, a woman to step in when, you know, a man had been pulled off. And I think that that, and, and a woman who has a very particular perspective. I mean, I don't think that, and they had both seen, you know, um, Knives and Skin, you can't watch that film and just be like, oh, we're just getting anything. You know, it's like, I think that they're saying, I mean, and the same thing with Chloe. I just think that we are not just like two, two writers and directors. I think that we come with a real particular point of view. So you sort of have to know what you are getting yourself into, you know, when, and I mean, but I would say the same thing for Timo and for Simon and for Ryan, you know, I mean, I think these are that all the, the filmmakers are not just filmmakers that can kind of like slip themselves really easily into the skin of this. You know, we come with a, a real particular perspective, but when we were shooting, I mean, the production happened in Canada and I have to say that like Canadian men um, are, you know, like radically kind of like lovely and inclusive and, and polite, you know? So it was like, even though there were a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of guys on my set too, it was like one of the most polite sets um, I have ever, you know, lots of like, Oh, sorry, sorry, oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry. You know? Like really one of the most polite sets I've ever, I've ever been on, which was, yeah, which was surprising, but you know, such a lovely, such a su- super oh, lovely surprise. Socialized medic- oh, medicine. That's <laughs> <laughs> so that's interesting. You bring up the set. I, one of the things that we hear about now are women directors who talk about like no asshole sets, right? Is there a way that when you're meeting your new crew, you're working with them, you're stepping into set that you kind of set a tone for the set to make sure that things are how they should be in terms of fact and, and behavior on the set. I would hope that people look to the director as a sort of example for how they should, you know, the general you're setting the tone for everything. So my philosophy is, A, yes, of course, make sure the people you ha- are hiring are uh, not assholes right. as much as you can. Sometimes people people don't reveal their true colors until you're on set with them and it's too late. So, you know, that happens. Right. But yeah, I mean, my philosophy is to just, you know, try to treat people with respect and be professional. But of course, I think the the ultimate trap that all women directors fall into that all women in a position of authority fall into is that if you assert your authority a little too hard, people will say you're a Mm -hmm. bitch. If you are uh, 
don't do that, or even if you do do it, but you do it uh, kindly, they could say that you're not being powerful or authoritative okay. enough. I mean, you, it's you're it's you're never gonna find walk walk right. directly along that knife's edge of what people expect from you. So that can be very That's frustrating. A lot of labor. But, um, <laughs> that is, yeah, it is. Yeah, uh-huh. it is. <laughs> well, and I and I've tried as much as I as much as I can, even with with VHS, where we were kind, where the this the you know I didn't know I didn't I had never worked with any of the crew prior to to shooting there, and um, but I really said to you know the producers in Canada who were putting together that you know the everybody behind the camera, you know I was like I want as many women as possible behind the camera, I want as many people of color behind the camera, I want as many queer people if they're self identified I mean I really want this to be a really inclusive group of people um, behind you know behind the camera, um, which I think can some can also just naturally that community there's um there or my direct experience is that when you cast behind the camera really inclusively um with you know with that level of respect and um and validation and where everybody's voice has a place at the table so to say then i've just found that the general that the vibe that the vibe of then the you know the set is there's a there's a marked um mm-hmm. change you know and i like to have um you know the very first meeting on the very first day um you know i like to introduce myself and i introduce my pronouns and i ask everybody else to do that and you know to to you know what do you want to be called and i sort of say like i don't yell i don't want you to yell you know, I mean, I just think that that there's a there's a way to um, on day one to to kind of set out that like what I what I will and won't um, tolerate, and that you know what I what I expect out of myself and and expect out of you know other people. I mean, having said that, right? There's definitely like times when you interview someone and they're like, I don't yell at anybody. I'm like so chill, and then that person first day that they just yell at everybody, or something, you know, and then right. and then you know you're you're you can be stuck with that with that person for the rest of the you know for yeah. the rest of the shoot. But you know, and I think that it's I think um, one of the reasons that I have at least you know outside of VHS, so many of the projects that I've done here in the states, I've worked with the the the, the same crew, um, the same kind of core crew. And that has a lot to do with, you know, the, the fact that we, we trust each other creatively. We trust each other as, as mm-hmm. friends. And, um, you know, there can be a little bit of creative shorthand um, that, uh, that, you know, never gets stale. It's not like, oh, we've worked right. together a lot of times. So, like, the projects are stale. It actually, I find that as the, the you know, a female director, that that level of, trust, you know, where I, where my DP, my production designer, the first AD, my producer trusts me. Um, and then everybody else, you know, can, who's, who's sort of looking to maybe the person like the, I mean, my, my, the DP I've worked with a lot is a, is a guy and, you know, the producer that I worked with most recently on a film here in Chicago is a guy. And, you know, sometimes if like other people on set are looking to sort of like the guys standing next to me and they're sort of like, yeah, trust her. She's, you know, or they're sort of just like, don't ask me. This is Jennifer set. Mm -hmm. Ask her, you know, there's also a way that, that the men that I have been working with consistently, 
also get that it doesn't it doesn't help the whole vibe of the set if they don't defer the you know the right. power to me that actually helps and that I feel confident I feel comfortable you know with that um with that level of power but yeah it's like you know setting a tone and um and and being consistent um with that you know with that tone and I, I find this is the last thing I'll say that's like it's it's an interesting thing that and I've made a lot of shorts leading up to the features that I've made recently and I get, I've it hasn't happened in a while. Maybe it's because I've spoken out about it a lot, but I would get asked a lot about my level of collaboration with like mm. my DP and my editor, both of whom are guys. And I was like, uh, I don't know that I would call it collaboration. You know, we are, we have a conversation, yeah. but at the end of the day, it's my decision. Right. You know, it's my film. Right. And that's, and I don't mean to say that when I'm on set, I talk about our yeah. film, you know, and it, but at the, but it, at the end of the day, if I'm talking to my editor and my editor says something and I don't agree with it, you know, like it's, I, my, I try right. him, you know? <laughs> right. um, and, and um, so, but I, but I, but I just sort of had that sense when, you know, that it was, that it was a weird, I mean, maybe even the word microaggression is too aggressive in this moment, but, but I just mm -hmm. had this sense that, that the people who were asking me that they couldn't they they could they couldn't bear the idea that somehow I had come up with all of that on my yeah, own you right. know that I was taking responsibility for all of those decisions and it's not to say that 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 some of the final decisions didn't come out of conversations that I would have with you know the other the other people on 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 the on the crew who happened to be men but it just felt a little like you know, but how much really was it right. their idea? There's a you know, there's a, kind of a thing. question. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Right. It comes up. Yeah. 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 So um, anyway. Uh, well, that's so interesting because I can't imagine how challenging it can be on some of these film sets to really assert your voice and to, to be in that leadership role when it's been so male dominated for so long. But we love women filmmakers, and it, it is encouraging to hear from you both that things are starting to change, no matter how slowly that change is coming. So I think that with both of your segments, you can totally tell that they were made by women. So both of them feature female main female characters. And for better or worse, they have Lots agency. agency. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I wanted to know from both of you if that is something that you think about when you're writing characters, especially female characters. Is that important to you? Chloe, I'll have you go first if you don't mind. No, not at all. Um, it's definitely important to me. I don't know that I, when I'm first writing a script, I think I actually try not to be too analytical about it. I try to, it, I think it comes from a more instinctual place. And in the case of Holly, the reporter in Storm Drain, I felt like I just immediately sort of fell in love with this mess, this messy woman who's like stressed out and a recovering alcoholic. And I ended up in a way that I almost kind of regret cutting some of the backstory, uh, which was mm -hmm. that she had thrown up on camera as the result of her alcoholism, which is why she was demoted to doing these puff pieces oh, and why okay. she was so frustrated as a result of that. Um, I cut it out because it just, it felt like it was running kind of long. And now as you always do, you're sort of looking back and going, did I make that right choice? <laughs> but yeah, no, I just, I, I really love the idea of this flawed woman, but one who was still really ambitious mm -hmm. um, and uncompromising, but also who frankly, 
you know, she was flawed, not just in the way that she was a recovering alcoholic and was, you know, dealing with these challenges at her work uh, with her asshole boss. But I think also there's a little bit of an undercurrent of some level of um, opportunism in telling the story about these people. That's almost a little bit exploitative. So I feel like in a way she's, I adore her because she is a person who I think is a little bit, you know, she's certainly not perfect. There's a, there's a little bit of a, she's not a villain, but um, yeah, she's complicated. She's a complicated Mm -hmm. woman. And like, truly I cannot, cannot imagine anyone playing her better than Anna Hopkins, who was like a godsend. I don't know where she came from. (laughs) I don't know where she came from. She's had a very good career, but like she just, I was, I felt so lucky that we found her for this part and I've never had, I'm truly like such a delightful person on set. Um, as was, by the way, I would just like to say as much as I expressed frustration about the dynamics on set, which are real and ongoing, but like Jennifer said, I had a really good experience on this particular set. I don't know if it's a Canadian thing or what, but everyone, (laughs) it was, it was one of the more like, positive on-set environments I've ever been a part of and everyone was was really truly quite kind and also very good at their jobs oh that's wonderful I love what you said about Holly because that's exactly how we felt about her as a character that she was flawed that she was complicated and you know she's going after that Pulitzer right she wants (laughs) who has that ambition but also in the way in which she interacted with the man down in the storm drain you could tell there was heart underlying mm-hmm. that too. And that made her really interesting. Completely. So what about you, Jennifer? Well, I mean, you know, honestly, with the exception of probably one of the 50 something films that I've made, my, you know, my films have always been about the experiences of girls and women. You know, I just, it's like, until I feel like the, all of, I can, I've told all the stories that I can about, you know, girls and women or that I have in me, I will keep doing that. Although I did well, I did shoot a film this summer right after I got back from Canada that, that has an adult male lead, and I've never done that before. And that was mm-hmm. rad, actually. Mm-hmm. We were doing the ADR for that film today, and it was really good to see that actor again. Um, so now I've made two. I've made two films that do not feature stories about women. But, you know, when I inherited this cast for VHS, those two characters, Nash and Petro, um, you know, Kimmy Choi and Nicolette Pierce, were not the final girls. You know, they did not they did not have the kind of agency that they, that they have in my, in my version. And so the, when I, when I initially saw them and, and knew that um, just cause you get the kind of stats that they're both actually not very uh, tall, you know, they're sort of both sort of small statured women. And, you know, so I just thought I'm going to make these two the kind of heroes, like the final girls or like even the kind of villains. I mean, which is kind of what they're both sort of like antagonists and protagonists. But I just knew that, that I had inherited these two really, um, you know, awesome women. And I had also inherited like that, this group of, of kind of gigantic men, you know, who actually in real life look much more like SWAT (laughs) officers, lovely guys, totally lovely guys, but like really hulking. And you know, it just occurred to me, I was like, I'm going to kind of flip it, you know, I'm just going to take what people sort of expect of them. And, um, you know, and, 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 and flip it around. And I think that, you know, in early conversations with, you know, Brad and Josh and, and, um, and David, who, you know, before he was totally sucked into Hellraiser was part of a lot of the initial conversations when I was rewriting the script, and they all really loved that I, you know, that idea. So, um, yeah, and I think that even, you know, I feel like, 
that like with um, Holly and Storm Drain and then, you know, Nash and Petro in the wraparound and even the woman in um, mm -hmm. Empty Wake, which is Simon's piece. There's a, you know, there's a, there's a fair amount of uh, final girls. I mean, I think there's even a, the kind of this, this sort of, uh, you know, Bride of Frankenstein camera in in, mm -hmm. in Timo's pieces, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. could be considered that. So I think that, you know, maybe in this, in this, in VHS 94, it's not just that it's the first sort of female directors. I think that actually it's a pretty, dare I say, you know, it's the most oh. feminist of Without all the VHS. Without 100%. a doubt. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think that that DNA is weaved throughout the entire film, which is really, really fun because there was no tough pills to swallow with this one. It was all pretty great through and through in terms of the way that women are treated or depicted in this film. So I know we're getting short on time. You guys are being so generous with your time. But one of the things obviously that came out of this was it's a really big success for Shudder. So hopefully there's going to be another sequel now. <laughs> Is there any chance that you either are or would be coming back for more? I, I, I haven't heard about anything. This is not like an announcement, I but I, if they ask me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would come back. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I would come back if it, if it felt like I had an interesting story to tell. And I actually right now, I don't know. I'd have to sit down and think about if there is, if there is something that uh, is sort of worthy of being told, but yeah, absolutely. My, my only hesitation would be, Making VHS, I went directly from Canada to Romania to shoot my wow. feature. And it meant that like when I was trying to concentrate on my feature, you know, and also finish up posts on my feature, I was also having to work simultaneously on VHS, which a lot of people do that. It's not the end of the world, but it's just for me personally, I find it very yeah. hard to to make two movies at once. Sure. So uh, if there was a world in which I could dedicate all my time and attention exclusively to VHS. Yes, for sure. Amazing. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> and then how about you, Jennifer? Would you come back for more? Well, I think I I think I would. I mean, partially because I mean, not just necessarily even like the VHS um, you know, VHS franchise. I don't know if I'd get asked to I, I don't know if I'd get asked back. I mean, I would hope that I would hope that I would. But I think just in general, like in anthology like a found footage yeah. anthology, those two things were new experiences for me. And, you know, as a, as a writer and a director, I learned a lot, you know, and I feel like I made some mistakes that I was like, Oh, I didn't see that coming. And which, which I, um, you know, is, is the, is a way to evolve. You know, I don't sort of look at that and think like, well, I'm never going to do that again. You know, I mean, I really am somebody who, um, loves learning from my mistakes and, but also loves learning from, from moments where it's, I feel like I just kind of scratched the surface in terms of like what I could do with another kind of a story in found footage or what I could bring to another anthology with a group of, of great, um, you know, directors like, like VHS 94. And, you know, I think I would, I, I, uh, I, I mean, some, some days I think I would say absolutely yes. And I would like, take on the wraparound again, you know, just mm -hmm. like, hold on a second, you know, like, I'm going to get this. I'm going to, I'm going to try that again. Um, and then other days, you know, I, I think like, yes, I would do it again, but you know, I will happily hand the wraparound to someone, to, you know, to, to someone else, you know, but over, you know, overall it was like, 
you know, it was a, it was, it was a really, really good experience. And I think, and I'm not just saying that because I was, you know, when Josh called and said, would you consider attaching yourself to VHS 94? And I was like, I'll do anything. You know, I mean, I, I, it wasn't, that wasn't the case. There had been other, other projects that had come up during the pandemic year that, that weren't right for me. And I actually thought that, um, that I really wanted to, to try to do something that I had not done before, which was, you know, a found footage anthology of a franchise that was already, you know, established, kind of inheriting this little bit of a, you know, this little tiny bit of a story and this, and this cast and, you, you know, the, the concept of, of shooting in Canada also during a pandemic. I mean, both Chloe and I had to go to Toronto two weeks early to quarantine wow. for 14 days, which was an wow. interesting thing. And we all, you know, once production started, you know, the cast and crew kind of bubbled up in the same hotel. Um, you know, part of Chloe's set was built in the atrium of the hotel. Wow. I mean, it wow. was a, I mean, there, we could spend a lot more time talking about some of the particulars of, of production, but, you know, at the end of the day, it was a, you know, I, um, it was, it was cool and fun. And I think that right now it's what is just so rad is, is, um, you know, all of the, you know, the, the super fans who were so glad that there was yeah. another VHS and they yeah. seemed to love it. And even kind of the people who are like the haters who kind of love to hate it. You know? <laughs> also like, I don't know, which is fine. I feel like their enthusiasm is still kind sure. of there too, which I totally appreciate. <laughs> but yeah, I think to have something, you know, something like this, which is like, you know, fully in the mm -hmm. horror genre, which is the fourth, you know, of a franchise and, yeah, to have like the press that it's getting, you know, like I said, at the top of this conversation, that's like, you know, a New York Times, you know, critics pick and, you know, to kind of like break records for shutter streaming, um, you know, is just what's not right. to love about that. So yeah, yeah you know, incredible. bring bring it on. And, um, and yeah, and the shutter family, I would also just say like the shutter family is, you know, at the end of the day also feels truly like family and like oh, a small awesome. family. It's not I mean, you know, they are it's like, you forget that sort of like they they exist under the umbrella of of mm -hmm. um, AMC, you know, which is of course this like right. you know giant thing. But but Shutter is like you know I feel very taken care of by Shutter in terms of you know um, you know a, a writer and director's <sighs> life. Oh, that's so great to hear because you know we watch so many movies on Shutter because in the last couple of years they've been having movie after movie directed really by women, great. women yeah. and mm -hmm. it's just been great mm -hmm. to see that them sort of support that so much. Mm -hmm. So we are clearly very inspired by women directors. So before you guys go, do you have any advice out there for young women who maybe want to direct or not sure how to get into it or that feel like it's not even an option for them? Well, I would say it is it is an option for anyone who wants it. And that's not to say it's not very difficult. And it's not to say that, you know, it won't take a long, long time to break into the business. But yeah, I, I guess my, my advice would just to be as tenacious as possible. Um, I got attached to VHS five years ago. In that time period, I wasn't even sure if it was getting made. That's been the sort of common case uh, in my career, just getting attached to things that end up never going oh, no. or falling apart. Or, it happens a lot. It happens a lot. It happens to everyone. Um and it's, you know, it's hard, but I really do sort of feel like it's a war of attrition if you stick it out. Mm -hmm. And if it's so cheesy, I'm sorry, but like genuinely, no, if you believe in yourself and your vision, I'd say that's a big part of it as well. Because the reason anyone to become a director or a filmmaker or an artist is because they have something unique to share yeah. with the world um, that only you can say, mm -hmm. which is pretty cool. It's really cool. 
Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree with, um, with what Chloe just said. And, and, um, I mean, to sort of, to continue on that briefly, I also think that there's not one path to, you know, to get to where you want to be. And, you know, my path was very unconventional. And I mean, I started out making sort of like film and video in the art world, you know, so I didn't sort of, I didn't sort of imagine like, I'm going to make narrative films, I'm going to make narrative feature films from scripts with actors, etc, etc. And I think if you have that tenacity, and if you have that vision, um, you have to actually just make the films, you know, even if it's like, I mean, short films matter, make a short film with a small crew and a small cast or make it in your bedroom and you run the camera and you edit it. And you, I mean, I think there's a, that's, that can be, you know, even starting out that can, that can feel like an exhausting Mm -hmm. method, but you know, I mean, I just think that you, if you have the vision and you have the motivation, then, um, make the, make right. the film, you know, and then if you eventually have more money, you can remake it with more money. But I just think that, that part of the, even right now, you know, like, um, you know, where I am sort of in my life as a filmmaker, uh, I think that even now attaching myself to projects, part of the battle is just, um, convincing somebody that I can right. do it, you know, and sort right. of <laughs> and convincing somebody that like, I'm passionate about it, that I have the skills that I have the ability and that I will do what I, I, I will and I can do what I say I can and will do. I mean, that might be also a little bit of that, a gender gap mm-hmm. situation. You know, I think there's probably a lot of guys who are like, they, nobody even questions like whether or not they, they can yeah. want to do it. Um, but I just think that, that, um, you know, there's nothing, you will never get the film made if you are, if you're waiting for like more money, a better camera, a better, actor, a certain location, you know, I mean, it's, it has a lot to do with, um, with compromise and being, but compromise doesn't have to be a bad thing. And it has to do with, with being kind of like nimble and being a problem yeah. solver, you know, cause there's always a problem on set. Even if you have a giant budget, you're always having to be kind of nimble and pivot and, and, um, you know, and compromise and shift and, and, uh, and retool your vision, but never lose that passion and never lose that tenacity or, or audacity, yeah. you know, because there will always be somebody who says like, I don't think she's ready or I don't think she can do it. And you have to be like, I, I, you know, I absolutely am. And I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, prove you wrong. And I will accept your apology <laughs> on the other side of this, on the other side of this project. I love that. I love that. <laughs> and I think I, I always also tell people, you know, whether of, of all sort of, of all genders, et cetera, is like, be ready to say yes. You know, don't be an asshole. Um, and, um, you know, I don't know, have, have fun. I mean, I just think that, that at the end of the day, it's us also, you know, this is, I, I feel really fortunate to, to, uh, to do something which brings me just incredible joy, which I think that even right now today, you know, in this world, you know, being able to, you know, capture, you know, foster and maintain joy can be really, can yeah. be really tough. Sure. Absolutely. So, down to our kind of our last question here, which is you guys have done a ton of press for this. You've probably talked about this a million times, same questions over and over again, but we wanted to know if there was anything about the film or the filmmaking experience that you were never asked that you kind of always wanted to talk about. No Sorry, worries. If, if the answer is no, that's okay too. <laughs> you know, I mean, actually, you know what? I may, I might've gotten to talk about this, but I, maybe I didn't and I just imagined it, but I, I wanted to give a shout out to Greg Anderson, who did the music for 
um, mm-hmm. my section. And I think did some music for the other sections too, but he made a lot of music for my section. He's the founder of Southern Lord Records. He's in Sun and he's this incredibly accomplished um, uh-huh. musician who I admire um, a whole bunch, who's, who's, whose own kind of music outside of this and whose own kind of, you know, kind of personality is like literally a kind of bearded, cloaked, right. dark, <laughs> yeah. you know, his record label is yeah. Southern Lord, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know? <laughs> and um, when, when Josh said, so Greg Anderson's going to score, you know, the wraparound. And I just was like, oh my gosh, oh boy. You know, I was really, I was excited, but I was like, how do I talk right. to this person? Do I, you know, do I need, does he, do I have to learn how to speak in tongues? Like what exactly is going to, how's the communication going to go? And he, um, you, you know, was absolutely extraordinarily lovely, creative. We had amazing conversations. I love the music that he made for, you know, for the wraparound. And of course, like, you know, in my other films, I use music a lot. And so in VHS, you really have to figure out like the music has to be diegetic, you know, it has to be part of the scene. It can't just, you're not laying music on top of something. So those conversations that I had with him that were about, you know, incorporating something that felt like music, but also atmosphere. So, um, so yeah, I would say that, you know, for me also one of the best experiences of, of being involved with VHS 94 was, was working with, um, Greg Anderson. Awesome. Awesome. I I did think of something. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I'm a little slow today. Um, I just, I wanted to give a shout out to Christian Potenza who played the cameraman, Mm. Jeff. We had actually a interesting story the the day before we shot day one of production, I learned that um, the actor we initially cast uh, had been exposed to COVID and had to drop out. Oh, no. So at the very last second, Christian Potenza stepped in and he was just like a ray of sunshine. And in the middle of a shoot in which we made him and Anna Hopkins go into an actual storm wow. train. Wow. Um, he, had the, he, he had the best attitude and he just, I feel like he lifted up the whole set and obviously he was so incredible. So I want to give a shout out to Christian. And also since Jennifer and I are both here, we shared the same editor on this project, Tom Newell. Yes, uh, so Tom just Newell. Shout out to Tom Newell, who is a lovely human being and literally the world's number one Jean-Claude Van Damme fan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Tom's been, Tom's been, he was lovely to work with. And um, yeah. And and I'm sure that Chloe also, he, he never sends a text without a a Jean-Claude Van Damme accompanying gifts, you know, of which, of which you think that he's, he's, he's exhausted all of them. And then there's a new one. So really, I I mean, yeah, it could be because he is an editor. He's got the skills, you know? Amazing. Amazing. (laughs) That's great. So can you guys really quickly just tell us if you have any future projects in the works that aren't top secret at this point? Sure. Yeah, I have. um, I'm in post-production on my first feature film, which is called Watcher. uh, And it stars Michael Monroe um, and Bernd Gorman. Uh, That, uh, I don't really know when it's coming up. Hopefully it'll come out (laughs) soon. And yeah, there's, there's a few other things, but I think that's, that's the main one that's coming up next. What genre is that one? That is a psychological thriller. Ooh, okay. Psychological thriller. 
Yeah, I would the way I would describe it, which probably makes no sense without context, is uh, Lost in Translation meets The Tenant oh. meets oh. Rear Window. Oh, oh. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm yeah. sold. <laughs> I'm in. That sounds great. Day one ticket. Awesome. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> What about you, Jennifer? Do you have anything you can yeah, talk I'm about? Also in, in, yeah, I'm also in post-production for a new feature-length film that I shot here in Chicago after I got back from Canada. Um, it is coincidentally also um, a Shutter Amazing. original. It's called oh, Night's End. And it is um, a, uh, yeah, it's like a shut-in ghost Ooh. story. Um, uh, exorcism with an ap- apocalyptic Ooh, kind wow. of ending. Okay. okay. That also Again. sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> this is fantastic. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you both so, so much for taking the time to talk with us today. And like I said, being so generous with your time, it really is such a treat. Anytime yeah. we get to talk to women filmmakers like you, you're so inspiring and, you know, VHS is fantastic. So we cannot wait to see what these movies you guys have coming out because you're such important voices in the genre and so thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Thank you both. Thank, thank you both you so much. Guys. Thank you guys so much. All right. So that was our chat with Jennifer and Chloe. I feel like we're on a first main basis now. So I'm, I'm just switching yeah, to Jennifer and Chloe at this point, Absolutely. right? Yeah, yeah. We were vibing. <laughs> I could feel it. I could feel it. So but seriously, how fun was that? That was great. It was exciting. And I really cannot wait to see their next projects because both of them told us about what they're doing next and they both sound really great and horror related. So that's exciting. Yes. Yeah. They both sound awesome. And both of them, I think it's very clear. They have a very strong vision and are both very voicey directors. So Mm -hmm. I cannot wait to hear what they say next with their films. I'm I'm guessing it's going to be a surrealistic, gorgeous nightmare from Jennifer Reeder. And you know what? I don't totally know what to expect from Chloe, but I'm super excited to find out. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right, cool. So... What do you say we wrap things up? Yeah. If you want to reach us, there's lots of ways to do it. You can email us at rachelzombiegirls.com. That's G-R-R-L-Z. Or you can come chat with us over on our Facebook page or over on Instagram or Twitter at ZG Podcasts, plural. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you get your pods. And if you're looking for something spooky tonight because you've already watched VHS 94 five times, then check out our video on demand and streaming calendar on the Zombie Girls website. And while you're there, you might as well check out our sweet-ass merch, because you know you want to floss out. Plus, I mean, it's Halloween now. Christmas is not that far away. And we know half your Christmas shopping is going to be Zombie Girls t-shirts. So you got to get a more deadly one, Dream Queens, all the good stuff, right? So check out our merch at zombiegirls.com forward slash merch. And if you want to support us because you love us so, so much, you can do so on our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash zombie girls where you'll get extended episodes across the entire network as well as you can get on our discord for the month of october you can actually get on our discord at the one dollar tier and honestly it's my favorite perk so i would recommend hopping on that while you can you won't regret it i don't i hope (laughs) 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 on that note ariel why don't you take us out Yeah, well, thank you guys for listening to another episode of the More Deadly's Director's Cut. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Jennifer Reeder and Chloe Acuno. We thought it was pretty fantastic. 
All right, guys, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye, everybody. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And to my co-host and good friend, Ariel, for always teaching me something new. Production on this episode was done by yours truly and edited by Ariel. Our theme song for the show is More Deadly by DJ Chardon.